Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. This is Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, with just a quick reminder. The Eleanor Taylor Bland Crime Fiction Writers of Color Award submissions are due by March 31st. This $2,000 grant is for emerging crime writers of color. You do not have to be a Sisters in Crime member to apply for it. Please send it to friends, apply yourself, let people know about this tremendous opportunity. Thanks. Hello, it's Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Misty Simon to the podcast today. Misty always wanted to be a storyteller, preferably behind a Muppet. Animal was number one, followed closely by Sherlock Hemlock. Since that dream didn't come true, though, she began writing stories to share her world with readers one laugh at a time. Touching people's hearts and funny bones are two of her favorite things, and she hopes everyone at least snickers in the right places while reading her books. She lives with her husband in central Pennsylvania, where she is hard at work on her next novel, or three. (laughs) Misty, I am so looking forward to this conversation with you. Me too. I have been very, very excited to do this. I, I have been with Sisters in Crime actually for a lot of years. And I I didn't always feel like I was doing the kind of writing that would um, be in line with that because I was I was a little more romance than I was mystery. And um, then I decided, no, we're going mystery. I just have too much fun killing people on the page, on the page. Okay, (laughs) make sure that's in there. Don't want to be pulled over. I really started diving into what Sisters in Crime is after one of the breakfasts at Malice Domestic. I walked into that room and I thought, oh, wait, these are my people. And and it yeah. really, so then it, it, I love being able to give back because of what um, I've been able to get from, I was years and years ago, I actually was a guppy. And then I... I moved out of mystery and back into romance and I stayed there for a while. And then when I came back, I was like, no, we're going full fledged this time. Join some chapters, do volunteer work where I can um, run the wonderful, wonderful writing sprints that um, our whole group is making of it. These are Fridays throughout the year. I love it. I love it. So well, we're so grateful. Those write-ins on Tuesdays and Fridays for members um, have a, such a devoted following and are making such a difference in people's lives. And we could talk about why, but I want to start with a conversation and finding out more sure. about you and start this conversation where I always start it. When did you first say to yourself, I want to write a book? <laughs> so uh, I was sitting on the couch. I was newly married. My husband and I worked opposite shifts and I found myself watching way too much Lifetime TV. And I thought, you have got to get a hobby or something. And so um, I went to a used bookstore and I picked up books and I remembered the intensity of my love for reading. And as I was reading some of them, I was like, ooh, but what if you did this instead? And I thought, oh, you know, why not? So I I figured, well, I'll start with children's books because those have to be easier. <laughs> That's No, 45 words and every single word has to count and be in the right age bracket. And blah. no, that was not my thing. I tried greeting cards. <clears throat> um, I had actually written my high school alma mater. And so that used to actually go on my query letters at the bottom, you know, when you do that paragraph of why, like what kind of clout do you have? Mine was, I wrote my yeah. high school alma mater, which was funny. I met somebody like probably 12 years later and I was telling that story and the lady whips around and she says, oh my God, was that you? We still talk about that. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, I was trying, Okay. But the more that I really explored what I wanted to do through um, a series of online classes, um, because I thought it was romance, was I really realized that 
Murder, She Wrote, Perry Mason, Columbo. Those were the things that I used to watch with my grandparents a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just mm-hmm. thought I I have a, an, a knack for the puzzle pieces more than I do the black moment in in a romance. And so I I kind of parsed them together. My first series came out in 2005 or started in 2005. I did not know the rules. So if anybody ever wants to read those, please be aware that they are incredibly sexy because I was not aware that that's not <laughs> how you're supposed to start out. Um, And it just brought me such joy. So I am not one of those I started writing when I was seven. I I did. I have a couple of different stories that were like part of like um, projects involving, you know, English and that kind of thing. Um, I did want to be a Muppeteer, but not because I wanted to do the storytelling aspect so much as I wanted to do the acting aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I actually did train to be an opera singer. Um, and I have a three and a half octave range. I don't do that anymore, but, um, wow. yeah. So, but even then I would realize that if, if you put me on a stage and you asked me to do something, I would get laryngitis. I, I could sing anywhere else, but the second that you expected me to perform, that was a whole other level of so being able to write it. I don't have any trouble doing these kinds of things, book clubs, anything where it's going to be a conversation. I am totally on board with that. I can teach mind mapping classes because there's a lot of back and forth in those. Um, but anything where where I just have to stand up there by myself and recite things, no, that I don't do well. <laughs> it's my yeah. fault. That's okay. Everybody's got to have one. That's okay. It's okay. Um, and it's nice. I mean, a three and a half octave range is, yes. is huge. I love hearing, though, that you decided um, to write. Yes. You know, you really started to build your craft mm-hmm. later because I think that that's helpful oh. for people to yeah. hear. I mean, not super later, but, you know, it's, it's, it's something that you sort of started to think yes. about I could tell the story or differently or rewriting in your mm-hmm. head. Um, and also the balance between mysteries and, and romance yes. and figuring out what the rules were and everything else. <laughs> um, so there's lots to work with here. When you started to write and you started to write with ro- romance uh, and and learn those beats and learn how to structure and then you know went to mystery you built up your craft by taking classes online classes and everything else um when did you start talking to other writers or or how else did you sort of develop you know the craft itself of writing so uh, th- as far as that goes and when I- I, so when I started writing, I actually lived in California and um, there were RWA chapters, which is Romance Writers of America. And I had joined um, the national kind of like sync national versus the local chapters, but there wasn't one anywhere near me. Um, and I had just gotten a computer and I, I think I kind of stumbled my way through knowing what email was. And so with a lot of that, I didn't have anyone close by. So I ended up doing mm-hmm. a lot of online stuff simply because, well, I also had, um, she was two, um, when I really started writing and I had, um, gotten, I had won a writing round Robin contest through Harlequin. And so writing round Robin is where, uh, for them, it was the, an established author would write the first chapter and then everybody in the community would try to write chapter two. And they would pick one. And then everybody would try to write chapter three and they'd pick one. I was chapter 10. They liked my chapter 10. And, you know, I'm sitting on my couch telling my husband, okay, take a picture. And it has to be really nice because it's going to be up on the Harlequin boards and, you know, just really freaking out about somebody valued what I was writing. That was a, mm-hmm. that was a, a big jump. Um, I had done a couple of smaller things. Um, there used to be a lingerie catalog online that they would pay you to take the pieces that they had and use them in a short story. And so I, I that was my first paying gig ever, $200 
to talk about some lingerie and a feather boa, I think is what I used. Um, my husband's mother is, uh, so my mother-in-law um, is a graphic artist and she used to run um, a couple of magazines. They needed a guy's perspective. So I became M. Simon Penner and wrote about, I know, right? <laughs> so very sneaky, but um, yes, M. Simon Penner. And I wrote articles about antique cars to get guys to want to read this country review magazine. So it was little sporadic things. But once I moved to Pennsylvania and there was a real in-person chapter, I flourished like I never thought I could. Being in the same room with other people who are trying to do what you're trying to do, understand you. My husband's really good at giving me space and time. And I missed a retreat once and I came home and he had decked the entire house out as my own retreat. He moved my desk. I mean, he just so he's very understanding, but that doesn't mean that when I come to him and say this story is killing me, that he knows what to say. Whereas when you're with right. a bunch of other people, even online, you know, if 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 all you can do right now is guppies, totally, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, especially because now we're farther along in the internet age. This was back in 2002. Um, it really makes a difference to be able to talk to people who get you. Um, and who mm -hmm. truly understand, uh, even with just a handful of sentences, and you're like, I feel so overwhelmed. My person keeps talking out of turn. That's enough. You know, and then they're like, oh, I, that happened to me. And you feel understood. And in feeling understood, you also um, then grow. You know, that's one of the things that mm -hmm. I do love about the chats. I don't know about all the other ones that um, go on throughout the day, but at the nine o'clock, um, we do talk a lot about, you know, what are you doing? I have story cubes that I roll and I hold up three and they have to, if it helps, write a story with a ghost, a lighthouse and a watch. Mm -hmm. And so being there, you do not want to be the only person coming back and saying, well, I made chicken. And I'm like, no, that's not words. <laughs> you can't make chicken. You have to make words. And so, right. you know, that community aspect really propelled me then to continue to search out new opportunities to learn. I have taken the same kind of craft class probably 18 times because all 18 mm -hmm. times I have learned something different. I have been in a different place and received the information differently. Um, and I mm -hmm. will always be a huge, huge believer, especially in the classes that Sisters in Crime puts on, the webinars that you have available. I mean, there even go back and read some or go through some that you've done before because you may hear it differently. You may have missed something last time because your focus was on figuring out characterization, but, oh, there was that thing about setting and I wasn't ready for that, but I am now. Right. So, you know, right. I, I feel like there, there's a lot to be said for keeping your hand in craft. No one is ever perfect at this. No one. And no. the more that you, no. you know, don't over saturate yourself and learn so much that you never read, right. But there's a nice balance in there of having a skill set, a toolbox, I guess, is what I'd call it. And also as you're writing, you, you want to up your game. You want to, <laughs> you know, challenge yourself a little bit more. And I talk to so many writers. I'm so blessed to be able to do this podcast um, who are, you know, just pushing themselves a little bit like, oh, I'm going to try this or I'm thinking about doing this or I'm going to try two points of view or I'm going to, you know, yeah. write a historical. I'm going to do this just just to keep it not because that's easy, but because it's a new challenge. And that's one of the joys of this is to continue to challenge yourself. Absolutely. When I think too, you know, I'll a lot of people, uh, you know, once you start having contracts and that kind of thing, some people are like, okay, well, so if I write, it's got to be publishable all the time. I'd say throw that right out with the trash. Don't, don't even breathe those words because that's not true. Every single word you write down is worth something. So if you, it's experience, it's practice, it's thinking things mm -hmm. out onto paper. It's, um, so let's say I did, I thought I'm going to write a historical it was a horrible idea. I, it took me three hours to write one page because I was like, 
Well, I don't think it's called a purse in the 1800s. What is it called instead? Yeah. Oh, but they ride those things that the horses are. In the, I know it's a carriage, but I think there's a specific name. And what is that title? Wait a minute. Is that above or below the Duchess? I can't. So I thought this is not for me. But you know what? I really enjoyed it. I I got it out yep. of my system and there are no wasted words. I could actually use that later if I wanted to. Maybe a dream sequence or I have a stage thing and, you know, nothing is wasted. um, And it's all, it's all writing. Right. Right. And different genres, too. I mean, there's so many people who write mysteries. um, And, you know, I think you're the third person I've talked to this week who also has written in yep. romance. Um, but there's also horror and there's speculative yes. fiction and there's gothic and there's, you know, um, science fiction and, and there can be mashups. I mean, now is sort of an interesting yes. time to explore all kinds of opportunities. I mean, I personally think at heart, most stories have mystery, some element of a mystery yes. in them. They may not be crime novels, but there's some, there's a reason that the reader keeps turning the pages yeah. and usually that's a mystery, well, right? So I teach a class called, um, oh, of course, now I can't remember exactly what it's called, but I think it's, um, basically it's using the mystery structure to build a romance. And you can do it front or back. Um, but a lot of people, you know, there are certain beats that are required in the romance or, or you need to touch on them. And so I teach them as, so make it a red herring. You know, you know, you know, at the end of a cozy mystery that this is going to happen. The bad guy is going to get caught. Justice will be served. You don't know exactly how it's going to get there in a romance. You know that there's going to be a happily ever after, but what you need to keep the reader going and turning those pages is not being sure how they're going to make that happen. And so mystery, it's the same thing, you know, so you have red herrings, you have, you have people who could have done it, might have done it, but didn't. And in, you know, a romance, you have people who are keeping the couple apart, things that are going on in their own lives that are keeping them apart. You can totally set that up to then, like you said, mirror a mystery. And there's always something like if you, the mystery to me is the core of every story because you have to be wondering about something to continue to be invested in this, in, in reading or listening to a book or whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. And you have mentioned um, cozies a couple of times. And of course, people who've listened to this podcast um, uh, know about cozies. But let's define this in case somebody finds this in the middle Uh of the night and this is the one they listen to. Um, Can you talk about what a cozy mystery is? Sure. So to me, which it's a little, everybody has a slightly different definition of this. That's right. Excuse me. To me. It is an amateur sleuth, most times small town. Um, There is a dead body, at least one, and we need to figure out who did it, hopefully without getting yourself killed, and preferably by sorting through and getting the right person at the end. Um, It's often for a variety of reasons, um, but they usually boil down to greed, love, or... um, revenge are the three big ones um and a cozy mystery is going to be um not as graphic um violence wise and or sexual tension wise as something else i know in thrillers you know people get away with ice picking and that kind of thing that's not really that's not really i mean you could get away with it but it has to happen off stage and so um Generally speaking, to me, the cozy mystery um, most often is read, especially if you've already read the first one, you're going back for the second one because you like the community. And you want to know how great Aunt Myrtle is doing. And you want to know whether or not Mama Shirley has finally managed to tip that thing over. And so I think that people really enjoy the justice aspect of it um, because they know, just like with a romance, you know there's going to be a happily ever after. In a mystery, a cozy mystery especially, you know that there will be a solution at the end. Um, and you know that that yeah. person's getting caught and I am there for it. So, But to me, it's a game between myself and the reader 
And I really shouldn't mm-hmm. be winning as often as possible because if I'm not, you won't read my books anymore. Um, but I need to set it up so that at the end, you're like, oh, if I had just paid a little better attention. All right. I see how sly you were on that one. Right. You do not want to take them off guard. It should not be some random person walking in that we've never seen before in the whole book because the cozy reader likes to think in that game that they have a chance of figuring out before you tell them who it is. Right. Excellent definition. I, 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 the puzzle part is in traditional mysteries as well. I mean, that's, that's a, you know, um, and I love when you talk about the, the relationship with your reader. I mean, you are trying to trick them, but not make them feel like they've been um, lied to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big one because I, you know, I myself have read some and I'm like, there is no way I would have figured that out. I don't know where you came from, but I am not a huge fan of how this happened. Um, And and then there are others that I'm like, all right, it's page 22. And yes, it is the butler. And so, you know, you (laughs) want, but there's got to be an in-between in there somewhere. I want people to think to themselves, like I said, oh, okay. I, I, I see the three things that I missed that would have, you know, oh, I remember when they mentioned that I should have paid attention. Those are the ones that I feel are the most successful where you're, you are being fair with your reader. You know, they should Mm -hmm. be able to at least have some clue that someone is coming in and doing bad things and maybe some ideas so that they can be taken off guard at the end, but they should not be bamboozled. Right. And it's interesting because um, there's a wide range of cozy. (laughs) Um, There's the very, um, very cozy. So, you know, um, usually has a uh, some kind of a craft or, or something else and maybe you know lots of pets and and you know it's just the tone is very yes. light and very um but there's also I'm not I'm gonna say dark cozies but there's more realistic mm-hmm. cozies there are cozies that take place in a neighborhood in a city they're, they're right you know cozies that just have a little bit more of an edge um and so the and we're talking about American cozies right. I mean in the UK, cozies are always a little darker. Yeah. I mean, yes, right. Midsummer murders, man. When you watch those, because I went in and I'm like, oh, midsummer. So this is going to be like, and I was like, oh, wow. I think it was like the second, the second show or something, and there was there were things going on, and I was like, okay. <laughs> but I would still I call it. that a cozy, a- right? Oh, absolutely, because in the end, it is the amateur sleuth. It is that it doesn't have to be a small town. I do feel like you are better served if it's a community. So even yeah. if you're in New York City and it's your, okay, for instance, um, Netflix or is that Prime? I know it's Netflix. Whichever one does Only Murders in the Building with Steve Martin and Martin Short. Hulu. Hulu. Okay, sorry. Um, so that's in a big city, but it's all in the building that's the community they're not running all over the place so even if you have um you know maybe if you're in a a bigger city uh like harrisburg is right across the river here that's a bigger city than what i write but if i made it a neighborhood or if i Mm -hmm. made it um you know only crafters or if i made it then you you have the ability to narrow down uh, and really explore one of the things that I love the most is the relationships that you can explore within cozy. That's right. You know, and I love to see characters grow. Um, And so am I a little harsh with mine sometimes? Yeah, they definitely have flaws. Even I think it was Kirkus Reviews who said she has flaws and she owns every one of them. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of how I roll. Because I enjoy rooting for my characters. And I enjoy Mm -hmm. rooting for other people's characters too. Like if you are struggling with something and it doesn't have to overpower the book but it should it should uh, it should be an underlying 
mm-hmm. thing that goes on. And it can go for 15 books. You don't have to figure it out by the end of each book. I had listened to Sue Grafton one time was talking about the alphabet books. And she's like, oh my gosh, why did I choose 26 letters? That's 26 things I have to put my my character through. And I was like, yeah, you could tell that you were running out a little bit towards the end. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily give them enormous things to go through, but something that they're working on that you feel a connection with as a person, because, oh my gosh, I totally get how that works. You're coming back you love the mystery. You hope that I'm twisty, but you also want to know whether or not so-and-so is dating so-and-so still. You want to know whether or not the mom had stopped bothering her about this. And I think that that's one of the things that people love is the communities that are built within those books, which then works very well as an author because you've already got your cosm of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's... um cozies are generally series um i can't really actually think of a standalone cozy and maybe there is one um but generally they are series if you're an indie author you need to think about how many books you want in the series or think of it in three book three book chunks or something if you're a traditionally published author it's based on your book contract (laughs) and you hope they renew it um but if they don't you have to you know you can also go self-publish if you don't renew it because that's actually so the tally graver mysteries uh, is how i started with kensington and i did five books with them and um they liked them but they and they are popular in on the ground but not necessarily online um so like here in town i now write also as gabby allen i can't get anybody to buy a gabby allen book but they all want those tally graver books because they're set here in mechanicsburg i don't call it that yeah because i don't want to get in trouble for killing everybody in town but they're set here i cannot tell you how many people are like when when is the next one and i'm like well kensington and they're like no 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 see that's not that's not an acceptable answer let's rewind (laughs) try that again where's the next one so i did ask kensington can i like is it going to go against my contract at all and they said no you gave it to us we decided not to do it so it's yours so par for the hearse is coming out um well it was supposed to come out already but it's I'm working on it. And um, so you can you can continue them on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, yeah, you're right. So, and sometimes you don't know. So with a traditional house, you could want to write 23, uh, you know, and be Donna Andrews um, with Meg, who I adore. But you could also be me with five. And if you don't want to continue on, what do you do? Well, you either start a new series or figure something else out. Um, and I I think, you know, as an indie published author, which I also do that for paranormal, um, paranormal mysteries, um, you do want to kind of know ahead of time how many books you might want to do just, mm-hmm. just to have sort of an idea of how big do you want to get in each book? Because if you're going to mm-hmm. do three, then you do want them to be kind of bigger because you need, you know, to do the whole arc within a three book series. But if you're going to have 15, you need to take smaller steps because you're going to get into the same place, but you have a whole lot of books to get through before you get there. That's right. That's right. And it's interesting too, because as you're planning that series and those arcs, um, it is about pacing. I mean, we, we, we all know, books that get frustrating if yes. if a romance doesn't happen or something doesn't go on um but you know again it's your relationship with your readers mm-hmm. you want you don't want them to be frustrated um but you want them to you also need all of your books to stand alone yeah so if somebody finds you in the middle of the series <clears throat> they may not understand everything but they can right. read the book and still enjoy the book as a book and maybe go back and read the beginning i mean as a reader i do that i, I mean do. i'll discover a book in the beginning of a series and sometimes in the middle mm-hmm. the the books are also better because yes. <laughs> they kind of I mean, you work kind their of, way out. As an author, you kind of hope that they are. Because yes. I don't want book one to be better than book five. 
I no. mean, the, you would really rather be, you know, moving forward. Um, and I do think that there are, you know, there's there's some leeway, I will say, given with the cozy mysteries, because there's a, look, there's a certain suspension of disbelief that you're coming in with anyway. Let's be honest. How many of us truly are going to find a dead body in the backyard and be like, guys, I've got this. I'll let you know who it is in 22 pages or so. No, yeah. you're calling the cops. You know, and even yeah. if even if you get bamboozled into it or if, God, heaven forbid, somebody actually thinks, well, they look at your search history and think, oh, maybe she did do it. That's awfully convenient. You still, in the end, as a reader, you're coming in knowing for certain that this amateur sleuth is not in real life going to be the one who right. would necessarily have this kind of leeway, this kind of um, grace from the cops who are like, seriously, go home. But in the book, <laughs> they're like, oh, thanks for giving us that clue. We really appreciate it. We'll run with that now. Um but I, I do feel like then if you're going to take that suspension of disbelief, don't exercise it too much by then giving me characters that I can't connect to. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's, that's, too, that's too much suspension of disbelief. And so um, I like to give more um, realistic characters. Like I'm, I'm, I am not the one that you want to read if you never want to see a swear word. I'm just not. I, you know, I don't live in Mayberry. And if someone <laughs> were to come up to a cop and say something nasty, he's not turning around and saying, you are a pain in my hiney. No, that's <laughs> not the word. It's being used. I don't use a lot of swear words, but I do try and I, I do stay away from the hard ones. Um, but, you know, sometimes they're appropriate. And, mm -hmm. um, and I, I have heard, you know, I tend to be a little fringy on, you know, I am not the tea cottage. I, I love reading those. I'm not always as good at writing them. Although I did have an idea about some witches that own a bakery and I'm kind of excited about that one. But, um, on the whole, I'm writing Ren fairs. I'm writing, um, people who drive glass bottom boats and clean houses and live above a funeral home. And so, that's my fringe. So then I try really hard to make sure that the relationships are solid and that you will read them and go, oh my gosh, how do you know my Aunt Mark? <laughs> yeah. 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 And you said that you also write paranormals. Yeah. They're fun. And <laughs> um, and that's, so this is a decision that people need to make or think they need to make, or if you're traditionally and you know, yes. um, do you write under the same name? Do you write under derivative of a name? Do you have a completely different name? You said you also write under Gabby Allen. Do you write your paranormals as Misty Simon? Yes. So Gabby Allen was not my choice. Um, Gabby Allen was requested um, by a publishing house because they wanted to separate from the Tally Graver mystery series mm -hmm. because that was small town Pennsylvania. These new ones are like out on an island off the coast of California. So they were different enough that they're like, I think we could do some good things with a new name. Um, they were also being positioned as rom cozies. So like rom-com cozies. Um, and so that's fine. But it was really funny because I, I was looking at the Amazon reviews and after it went to NetGalley, the first Gabby Allen did. <laughs> and there's somebody who says, I can't wait to see who this author actually is because I know that voice. And I was like, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> okay, that's both a compliment and a uh-oh. <laughs> Whoops. Um, but then Publishers Weekly outed me anyway because in their reviews they put... Um, Gabby Allen, who also writes the Tally Graver mystery series as Misty Simon, I called Kensington and I'm like, I didn't say anything, I promise. And like, no, that's fine. Don't even worry about it. I think that if you're going to do something very different, um, so let's say, for instance, that you write traditional cozies and you've got the tea cottage and the cats and the library and the sheriff boyfriend and they're, they're you know, no real blood on the page. They're very tame and you and more like a hallmark-esque um 
That's one name. If you then decide to go do like urban fantasy vampires with like brutal killing, that needs a different name. People need to be able to know what they're getting before they get in. And so um, the paranormals I did choose to put under Misty Simon because they're, they're close enough. I mean, they, they do have paranormal, but I actually wrote a series a while ago um, called um, um, Adventures in Ghost Sitting, which is a playoff of Adventures in Babysitting from the 80s. Yep. So all of the titles are 80s. Desperately Seeking Salvage, I Wear My Ghost Goggles at Night, um, All Died <laughs> Out, Don't Dream It's Rover. Um, and so like those, she owns a junkyard. Everything in the junkyard has a ghost attached to it. They're all very badly behaved. Her mom passed away and put herself into a Victrola. And so when she doesn't want to hear her mom talk anymore, she just leaves the needle off the record. Because <laughs> who doesn't want to do that sometimes? <laughs> but I felt like I had enough of a history that if you liked those, you would like these too. Um, and so... I think finding your spot, if you're going to do two very different things, if you're going to write inspirational and then you're also going to write like hardcore um, fantasy thrillers or, or something. thrillers, yeah. yeah, go ahead and switch those up because not everybody looks at the cover the first time. And even, you know, you don't always get to choose what your cover is. And so if at some point things change and you're traditionally publishing and they're giving you covers that are not really telling the full truth. You, I would rather people pick up something that they're going to love than to accidentally pick up something and, ooh, I got your money, but you're going to hate me and never buy anything else again. Right. Um, and right. so to me, it, it, I would rather be very truthful. And I am. When I do book clubs and stuff, I say, this has some swearing in it. And there is some, you know, there are double entendres. If you don't like it, let me point you over to somebody who does write the kind of stuff that you love because then you might take a chance on me later on. Who knows? You know, I mean, but yeah, I feel like, I feel like if you're going to do two very different things that it does make sense to have two different um, names. Kensington was laughing because they had said, well, what, what name do you want? And I was like, Gabby Allen. And they said, well, that was really fast. And I was like, I talk a lot and I like Edgar Allan Poe. (laughs) and i don't want to be in the s's anymore can i be up towards the a's and there you go (laughs) well and they're all hidden secrets so you can have this everything pointed to the same website and just have different tabs on the website or you know there are ways you can market yourself but um but that's you know it's good for people to understand why people choose names sometimes it's a publisher request Mm -hmm. as it is for you sometimes it's genre differences Um, But I also loved what you just said about um, marketing and about uh, you're not going to convince people that they're going to automatically like your book, but you can say that, you know, you'd really enjoy his book. I mean, because he writes thrillers and I don't write thrillers. So if you you want a thriller, go go read his book. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, so I did a book signing in Shinkatig. Um, and the guy was sitting behind me who owns the store. And he's like, I'm I'm just going to sit here and watch because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I don't sell my books. When you come in and I'm doing a signing, I will ask you, what do you like to read? How are you doing? What do you like to read? And they're like, oh, I don't read cozy mysteries. And I say, okay, well, what do you read? Oh, I love this. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, if you go two doors over and to the left, there's this amazing book about elephants and they'll go get that. And then they'll wander back by and they're like, oh, that book on elephants. So what is it that you write? And I'm like, cozy mysteries. I kill people, you know, on the page and um, they're funny. I've heard that people snort tea out of their nose and they're like, okay, well maybe, maybe I'll try one. Maybe I'll give it to my mom for Christmas. And I'm like, well, you know, you can read it without breaking the spine two for one. And she never knows, (laughs) you know? And so I, in that, in, in remembering that I don't want your money, I want your time. And I want mm. your time to be well spent. And I want you mm. to to feel afterwards that you cannot wait for my next book to come out. Not, thank God that was only $8. You 
You know what I'm right. saying? So I feel like, and then there's a level of trust that's in there too, because they know that they, that you were straight with them. Yep. Yeah. Um, such great. I mean, so we've kind of been meandering into publishing <laughs> uh, a little bit, but that's part of this conversation, okay. but, but bringing it back to writing, yes. you, you work with writers on plotting. Can you talk about your, your mapping sure. strategy? <laughs> I can. So that was, um, it was not meant to, to do that. And so for me, one of the things that I love to do is take, uh, I think it's 18 by 24. It might be 19 by 26 paper. Um, it's big artist paper. I have an artist child. So I always had like random paper. One day I just stole it from her and said, this is mine. And so I had learned this method. Some people call it snowflakes, um, call it um bubbling, mind mapping, basically, especially with mystery, you put the dead person in the middle and then uh, you radiate out from their little spokes. And those are the, the reporter questions, who, what, why, when, where, how. Then you have, for me, you have setting, you have your sleuth, and then you have your red herrings and clues. And then I just go to town. Every idea that I can think of that has to go with, you know, well, maybe it's this person. Well, why wouldn't it be that person? And so as you're building these over and over again, you, first of all, can see if there are going to be issues. Um, you can see that, you know, this branch doesn't have very much on it, but this one has a bunch of stuff on it. Mm -hmm. um, and then you take those. And you write out a, what I call a timeline because outlining makes me think of Roman numerals and hives. So I don't, I don't, I don't do real honest to God outlining. I do a timeline. It's like a map. And so as, so from the mind map to the time map, and then that keeps me on track because I, I am not a full on plotter. I don't know every single thing that's going to happen. If I did, I should have already written the book because now it's kind of not as exciting for me because I already know everything that's there. Mm -hmm. However, I am not a pantser or by the seat of your pants, however you want to phrase that. That's not me. I'm not a pantser because I will go off on rabbit trails. I'll get lost. I don't remember where I was going. So I'm what I call a planter. So I plot enough to know what happens next if I meander off but not so much that I've killed the surprise in the story for myself. And so yeah. mind map really gives me an opportunity to do that because it's got all the ideas, but it doesn't have any true structure until I set it up. So and mm -hmm. you can do that at the beginning. You can do it in the middle. If you get stuck, you can do it at the end. If you're looking to put more stuff in because your story ended up at 45,000 and you need seven. Um, and then it's also a record. You can throw it up on the wall and tell yourself, look, that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Make that happen. Um, and you can see also, you know, have I done this before? Is it the, you know, but how is this different from the other one that I did with the coffin that turned over? Um, and so you, uh, you give yourself a map. And as I, because I need that, um, that will definitely propel me forward through writing much faster. So I do offer, um, well, so I have offered previously in auctions um, to mind map with you. And so mm -hmm. if you want, you bring me what you've got um, and you and I will go through kind of what your expectations are. And then I'll start throwing out some ideas. I make the mind map for you. I take a picture of it. I send it to you, or I can send you the big piece of paper if you don't mind it folded up. Um, I have done them at conferences. It is the best thing ever to have 30 people sitting in a room and we're plotting to kill. And I'm like, okay, so now what happens? What are we doing? I've done Death Goes on Holiday, where we were on a cruise ship and Death was there and he had lobster shorts on and he was confronted <laughs> by a succubus who couldn't kill him, but he also can't kill her. I was like, okay, we've done um, Who Makes the Best Poutine for Fries? And um, uh, orcs in New York killing people and doing things. So there's a lot of, I think people very much feel energized um, when they have somebody to brainstorm. But I'm not, I'm not giving you the story. I'm building 
with you the pieces that can help you write your own story. And I, I and very I think, much enjoy that. Well, I think one of the things that people can think about um, as they're listening to this mm-hmm. is um, that that's another way you can do the work. There's no yes. one way to do any of this. No. But what a, if you're a visual person or if you've got post-its yes. <laughs> and you want to do it on your wall with post-its, um, this is a great way to get unstuck, a great yep. way to come up with new ideas. Um, and, and it's a very visual way of doing it. So if it works, if it works for you, try it. That's every night at nine on Tuesdays and Fridays. I can't tell you how many times I say there are as many ways to do this as there are people doing it. There is no wrong way. I have seen people have four different colors of sticky notes. So one is the crime, one is the relationships, one is some other thing that's going on in the world, and one is the setting. They fill those things out like they are, you know, on fire, and they stick them on the wall, and they go all over the place. And then they take them, and they combine them into chapters, and they put them on the wall in, like, um they kind of accordion them down the wall. Yeah. So that, and then they, if if they're in order, they will take it off the wall, put it on their notebook, write that particular scene, put it higher on the wall, take the next one off and write that scene. If they feel stuck, they'll go to another chapter, pull something off the wall, just write the scene. That's all you have to do is write. One of the things that I think NaNoWriMo can really do for people is show yourself that you can show up every day. I try never to write less than 50 words. 50 words is a paragraph. And it is rare that I actually only write 51. Sometimes I'm 600 in and I'm like, where did that come from? But I sat down because I promised myself that I'd do 50. And if you promise yourself you're going to do 50 as well as honor that commitment to yourself and your time, your story is constantly working in there. But if you have a mind map where you can write down ideas, I tend to do my titles on that um, because as, as I'm writing these bubbles, words will come up and I'll like, put them over to the side. Um, and same thing with the stickies. Put titles and you you don't even have to use them this time. Maybe sometime later, it's like, oh, now mm-hmm. it's your time. Come on out, little boy. And then there you go. You know, that's what I did yeah. with the, the newer paranormals that I'm doing right now um, are set at a Ren Fair. And it's a bunch of, I call it the Ren Fair of misfit paranormals, like the Island of Misfit Toys. They all cannot do the one thing they're supposed to do. So like my werewolf can only change his nose and his tail, which is a little <laughs> awkward on full moons. Um, and so, but I, I have those. I have all these different ideas and I made charts and all this kind of stuff because sometimes you're stuck. Yeah. Sometimes life sucks and you're like, I just want to escape, but I don't know how to, oh, you know what? Grab a sticky off the wall. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. wrong with doing that or journal, you know, or journal about the sticky on the wall. No right. word is ever wrong um, or yeah. misused. It's all gross as far as I'm concerned. And if you don't like the idea, I'm just going to throw this out here. If you don't like the idea of the cluster of bubbles all over the place, because that mocks your need for more lines, you can also do um, a graph kind of across the page. So you take the big, huge um, paper still and you do blocks all the way across. And so instead of the spokes with the bubbles, you have blocks down the side, who, what, where, when, why, how, setting, red herrings, clues, and then fill it out from left to right. Right. If that, if that works better for you. I just like to throw that in there because some people are like, bubbles i can't do the chaos of yeah bubbles. totally understood again some people use the smaller artist paper and do just their character mm-hmm. because there mm-hmm. are things that you're going to know about your character that may never come up they might come up in book 10 but if she always plays a specific song on the piano where does that come from what does that mean yeah. to her Maybe in book six, somebody else is playing it and she doesn't think anyone's ever heard it before. And there's only one person that would know who that song was. And she was pretty mm-hmm. sure he was already dead. Right. Ow, you have it now. And that's 
that's the thing that I love about helping people mind map is somebody else's um somebody else's story. And I'm like, ooh, but what if you and it's never up to me. You take or leave whatever you want to do. I'm just there to bounce things off of um and give you a perspective that maybe you're too close to the story to see. And then mm-hmm. you make choices, kind of like a choose your own adventure. <laughs> Well, which is also why you can use this exercise and work with somebody else. You can find oh, yes. a partner and say, we're going to do this together um, because you can get in your own way. And when somebody else is telling you their story, you can see things that they can't. Yes. Well, and you you also, so I call it your filter. And uh, to me, it's all the strings and pieces of your life that have come together to form who you are. Something comes at you and goes through your filter, that will very much affect me differently than it would you, Julie. Because Depending mm-hmm. on what the thing that's happening is and what mm-hmm. you and I have previously been through in our own lives, some things are going to hit me harder than they are going to hit you. Some things are going to hit you harder because you have a different experience than I do. Okay, so when you're doing that, those are the kinds of things that you want to give your character But sometimes you're too close to that because you're trying to make it too much like you. And so having a different person who says, well, why? Why does she always wear brown? Mm -hmm. And then you're like, well, because it's, you know, she likes the color. And I'm like, well, what if she always wears brown? Because like 10 years ago, somebody told her that she looked nice in it and she hadn't gotten compliments in so long that she just stuck with it and then got a little bit obsessive about it. And you could have her then grow out of the brown, start wearing some black, maybe a purple shirt shows up. And so you're showing, showing as opposed to telling her growth out of not thinking she's worthy of more than a compliment that she looked good in brown. She is now growing into being able to show who she should have been all along before somebody else got hold of her. Yes, yes. But it's also so valuable to take those characters and write those things down because yes. in the first or second book, you may not have noticed that she's always wearing brown. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but once you figure it out, you can weave it into the rest of the story and don't think you're going to remember all no. that because, <laughs> no. you know, you're going to forget the name of the song oh, in, yeah. the, in the book that you need it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I've got more stickies than I know what to do with. And I love the stickies with the lines on them that look like little yeah. pieces of notebook paper. I stick those things all over the place. I do also, however, go to Knock Knock, which is a paper company that makes like really funny paper. So I have a, a pad of stickies that are called Nag Notes. And those are the ones that I fill out for my husband and stick on his computer. Do that. That's what I'd <laughs> like you to do. They also have paper temper tantrums, which are fun. So if you're having a moment, you take off one of the paper temper tantrums and you just write all the stuff. But they're very useful for characters also. Because if your character in the moment is like, really irritated about something and you want to know how they would respond to that, have a little paper tantrum taper, paper tantrum for them. I have written scenes in email. I've written scenes in Facebook DM to my like to somebody else and then I just took it off and threw it in. I have dictated them through my phone. I've written them on text. I have done everything because look, you're going to have days that are going to suck. That's just all there is to it. But take five minutes and sit down somewhere, write it by hand, change it up. If you feel like you're getting bogged down because you also use your computer for the bills, then move to a different spot and take like your phone with you and just type away into the text system. There are a number of ways. Again, it's your toolbox. My toolbox is enormous. I would have to roll that thing around. But there are many times that something that I learned 10 years ago can be useful tomorrow. Because I'm like, I don't have, why is this so hard? And I flip open the toolbox and I'm like, oh, now I remember you. I don't think I've ever used you before. Let's try it. I used to wear hats. Like literally I had a big, huge green Mad Hatter hat. And when I put that thing on, that's when I was writing. No one was allowed to come near me because I said I had a young one when I started. I also had a wizard hat, you know, big old like triangular with the stars and stuff. 
if I was wearing that, that was my editing hat because it was magic to edit. Yeah. I don't care how you have to trick yourself. Do whatever it takes to get yourself into that chair and doing the work. And it really does help you if your fingers are in the pie all the time, even if it's 50 words, you're still thinking about the story. And honestly, we all need your stories. Whatever you yeah. want to tell, there is somebody out there who needs that. Um, and and in different forms, I've had people come up and say, it's having a really bad time. Your books made me snort in laughter. Thank you so much. Well, it started with, are you Misty Simon? And I was like, <laughs> so if it's something good, then yes. If it's something bad, I'll go find her for you. Um, but I've also, I had a guy, <laughs> this is one of those ones where you're so thankful that you got an email and it's not a face-to-face. He emailed me to let me know that he and his father had read all of the Tally Graver books together. And now his dad is really dealing with Alzheimer's and he doesn't remember a lot of stuff. And so when he's having a particularly bad day, one of the things he does remember is the places that I mentioned in the Tally Graver books. And so they will actually drive around town and go to each place that's mentioned in the books because that makes his dad feel better. Uh, You don't write a murder mystery thinking that that's what you're going to do. But when you do that, that is a beautiful thing. I connect with people through my stories that I will never get to meet. And yet somewhere in their head are our words, our characters, our feelings, our being able to get through a dicey situation with your head still on your shoulders and perhaps a better relationship. So please write me a story. Please write me whatever you want to, because I want to see that. I want to see how you see the world. And then, you know, it touches people's lives and everybody, lots of everybody's will want to read what you have to say. Yeah. Well, that's a, and, and using the perspective Mm -hmm. of different people and telling different stories is also so critical so that we're not, we don't all see the world the same way and we need to see and as readers to enjoy other life experiences and ours because it makes it richer. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. I am so loving the, the, just the plethora of different kinds of stories to be able to read and see um, how other people view things. It doesn't always have to be me. I don't always have to be the one telling the story. I want yours. Like, and, you know, some people who grew up in, you know, a really intellectual home will have different experiences than some people who, um, you know, fought really hard to get taught how to read. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and, but they both have very uh, different ways of expressing things. And I want that. So one of the things that I think of, and, and this kind of goes back to the opera um, training is so books to me sound like music. And when I'm reading, um, there's a rhythm to the words. Mm-hmm. I love a rhythm that I have never experienced before. I, I will want more of that rhythm when I see what you have to say and what, what you feel. Those are the ones that I'm like, oh, bring that over. Was that a bossa nova? Let's do that one. <laughs> so my grandmother danced for Arthur Murray Studio until she was 92. And wow. so, you know, I the music is a big thing here. But um, I just, I I want your stories. I I want to see stories with people that are different than me. Or like, you know, if you had those two circles that everybody always likes to cross or uncross, we could have a sliver in the middle. Absolutely. You know, but I want the ones where I'm like, now that is interesting. I never thought of it that way. That is so cool. Bring me more. Bring me more of yeah. this. Yeah. And thankfully, there's uh, there are more and more stories um, yes. being written these days. It, I feel like we're in a golden age of crime fiction in so many ways. I agree. I agree. And, you know, unfortunately, there was a time, and I'm not saying it's completely past, but it's not as, I think, hope as bad as it was 
where the answer would be, oh, we already published a book with a trans person this year. Right. And I'm like, this one this year that and that's sentence that you're okay saying and you know so uh, with indie publishing which i know a lot of people really want the traditional publishing path i do understand that there are benefits to it there are also a lot of benefits to the self-publishing path and one of those benefits is being able to tell the stories that you want to tell and finding your your group and then growing right that group yeah um from there and and there's no telling what you can do you know romance was indie for has been indie for years there are people in indie colleen hoover started as an indie she is now like the best she sells more books than the bible um Mm -hmm. in a year and so it it is possible to do that i would highly recommend an editor and a formatter and you know the don't throw it out yeah. like you just put it on a piece of paper with crayons. But, you know, it, and then you talk to the kind of people that you think are your core readers. Those core readers have friends that are not exactly like them and say, oh, my gosh, you have got to read this book. It was phenomenal. And then it's grassroots. I've heard yeah. street teams are coming back, which yeah. I would be very excited about that. Because, again, that's the reader. I don't need to impress the people in the industry. I need the people who are reading me to read me. That's right. That's right. That's a, and on that, that's a great way to, um, to end this conversation because it's such a, um, it is, it's all about the readers. It really is. All about the readers. What are you working on now, Misty? Par for the hearse. (laughs) (laughs) It's the sixth tally book. Um, I'm very excited about it. I am resurrecting an amusement park that has gone, um, it's a speed track now. And um, so my family has, uh, so when we used to do family reunions, there are like 400 of us in the area. So we rent an amusement park for the day to fit everybody. That you have to be careful because if you see somebody who's cute, you need to make sure that they're not actually related to you because they might be. Um, so and you got to know how close that's the, this is, you know, by marriage, should we get out the family tree? Um, but yeah, so I'm excited about it. I'm excited to bring Tally back. The local um, bookstore over here is going to do a series of um, pictures that involve where the books all are set and set them up um, as like a carousel. And so I I love these books and I have had a lot of people asking when the next one. So it is coming. I promise Max and Tally are doing their thing and we'll, we'll get there. (laughs) I just, that's awesome. I just need to finish it. And also, she's mentioned this, but we have write-ins um, for Sisters in Crime members on Tuesdays and Fridays. And Missy is frequently the 9 p.m. Eastern time yep. um, host. So, you know, Sisters in Crime members are in 13 different time zones at this I point. Know. So we try and offer them in enough time zones that people can come at different times. And I am so grateful to the tremendous group of volunteers who are running these write-ins because I uh the enthusiasm and the care and everything else is just great and um the writers are enjoying them so if you're on a nine o'clock write-in um Missy may be there with you yeah and they're they're a lot of fun too because I think there are some people who are like I wasn't going to write today but then I didn't want to miss this yeah and so you know even if you come in and write 150 words in two sessions okay Good for you. That's yeah. 150 words you didn't have before. That's and you exactly were just going to sit down and, and YouTube surf. So you have won. That's all there is to it. Yeah. So that's all there is to yep. it. I mean, and that's that's the beauty of these write-ins. Yeah. So Misty, thank you so much for a great conversation My about pleasure. writing yes. and about different ways of doing it. Thank you. Absolutely. And if anybody has questions, pop over to my website. MistySimon.com. There's a, I didn't call it a contact page. I think it's called give me a holler because as you do, (laughs) send me your question. If I can answer it, I will. I have been doing, I've been writing for 24 years. I have been publishing for uh, 18. 
I have done a, a lot of different things, made a lot of different mistakes. So if there is something that I can help you with, I would be more than happy to have that conversation. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you, Misty. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.